Hey church, welcome to an online worship service. Let us put all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our focus on God the Father, on Jesus the Son, our Savior, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let us get rid of ourselves and our agenda just for the next few minutes. Turn our thoughts, our minds, our, our purpose, our intent, and our song to Him and to Him alone. Let's worship together. He is our only King forever. Here we go.
You are 
church. It is phenomenal to see you here on this fine day. Hopefully you had a wonderful time worshiping the Lord. Hey, my name is Josh. I have a few announcements for you this morning. First of all, if there's anything that we can be praying for you about, we'd love to pray for you. You can text prayer request to 97,000. And specifically, man, as I've just been thinking about it this week, I think it'd be cool if there's anybody that you've been talking to about Jesus, man, we would love to pray for that and just lift that situation up. So would you text their name and maybe even a short story? We'd love to just intercede and go on behalf of that. That would be really cool. So a couple things going on in the next few weeks. First of all, our Conejo Valley meal program is coming up in two weeks on Monday, June 14th. If you'd like to provide a meal, that would be great. Go ahead and sign up online. Our marriage essentials class is coming up in three weeks at, on Sunday, June 20th. We'd love to have you out for that. And here's a big one. We've got our Camp ABF flying up on us when we're going to have tons of little kids here on campus. And it is going to be an amazing, amazing week. Um, man, so many hearts changed, so many decisions made for the Lord. It's just such a sweet time for these little kids. And we are still in need of some adult volunteers. So if you are interested in volunteering that week of camp, that would be awesome. You can go ahead and sign up for that online. And another heads up is we're having a training slash decorating day on Saturday, June 12th. That's coming up in two weeks in the morning. We'd love to have you out for that. As always, thank you so much for your continued giving. You can continue to give online or send in a check. And finally, we just wanted to acknowledge that this Monday is Memorial Day. And so we know that there's probably plenty of you out there that have a loved one that has served and passed, and we just wanted to acknowledge them. Man, what a sweet day for us to just celebrate them. For those of you that are serving currently, thank you so much. We love you. Um, man, thank you so, so much. Hey, here is Pastor Scott. All right. Well, thank you, Josh, and thank you, worship team, for leading us. And uh, again, great to be with you here this week online as we continue to work our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're in chapter 4 here today, uh, starting in verse 13. We're just covering uh, five verses, going through uh, verse 18. Now, as you're starting to turn there, I'm wondering how many of you have noticed some of the things I've noticed in the, the past, I don't know, six months to a year, where I would say people's anxiety levels have gone up a little bit. I would say them if there's a such thing as an anxiety meter, I'd say we're pushing eights and nines during this last run really leaving people a little bit more on edge than usual. Things that would normally kind of slip right on by, they're just ready, more on the verge of uh, being frustrated, being irritated. Uh, and I think as I consider that, 
it makes a lot of sense. Because really, if you look into it a little bit further, some of the psychology of how anxiety works, really what drives anxiety often, most often, is fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. If you think about how many things have been thrown at us in the past 12 months, things that have left us really legitimate things that unknowns we've experienced have been astronomical. Think about the, the big and the obvious one. How can you stop an airborne virus with a three-day incubation period and asymptomatic carriers? That's a pretty tough ask. So it leaves us with some anxiety. Other things we've faced this year, think about some of the things as it related to race, racial tension and how are some of these riots going to play this play out? Where will this finally come to an end? Will there be a ceasefire? How will the elections unfold? Will there be a peaceful transfer of power? Big questions that we've all wrestled through in the previous months, or maybe some of us more economic is our question. How will things bounce back on the other side of such a, a long shutdown? So many questions. And now, even on the farther end of the COVID wrestling match that we've had, how are we to respond to this vaccine? What will be some of the longer term effects of the vaccine? I'll tell you what, if there's ever been a season that's pressured us or pushed us towards anxiety, this has been the season. But during all of that, and believe me, as your pastor, I'm still prone to it as well. During all of that, I continue to hear the words throughout scripture that we see echo in my mind. Two simple words, fear not, fear not. That's the call. That's the charge for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So how do you do that amidst so much uncertainty? How do you do, how's that even possible for us still today? I would suggest that there's two import, important certainties that we need to cling to during times of uncertainty. Let me list two that I think are so foundational for every one of us trying to navigate seasons like this. The first one is foundational, is understanding that we have a loving God that has our very best plan in mind. Understanding that. Really, that's a foundational thing for us to grasp, that we have a God that loves us and he has a plan for us. He has our best interest in mind. So that's the first certainty amidst uncertainty I would suggest we cling to. The second one is that we have an amazing future an eternal future with Jesus in heaven if we've embraced him as our savior and king. That's the reality is if we're trying to survive uncertainty and make it through this anxious season, really clinging to those certainties as how we get there. I have no idea how someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ has navigated this past year because really, if you think about it, a unbeliever has nothing necessarily to look forward to. And they have no God that comes alongside them during times like this, as opposed to us as a follower of Jesus Christ. We have everything to look forward to and a God to turn to even during crazy seasons like we've been in. Let me just pray before we dive in because this text is wonderful as it points to the anticipation of Jesus Christ's return. Let me pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word on a weekly basis and how it feeds us, it renews us, it encourages us. And that's what I'm asking to happen even now as we're connecting over online. And I'm so thankful that we have these resources that allow us to, to do that even still today. I pray that your word would ring out and it would be a source of hope. It would echo in people's minds even going into the week ahead. We submit this time to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as a reminder of how it works here at this, in the study of God's word, we kind of go, uh, kind of like the game of golf. We kind of start where the ball lies. Basically where we left off last week was in chapter four, verses 12. Now we're picking up in verse 13. And remember what's happening here. We're eavesdropping, if you will, on someone else's mail. If you think about it, this is a, a letter that was written to this young church in Thessalonica. And it's basically in response to, to a report that they had had that Timothy brought to Paul about some of his concerns about what they were going through. And what I would propose is one of their concerns is a legitimate one. The question they were asking is what happens to loved ones who knew and followed Jesus Christ that passed away or died before Jesus returns? So they're wrestling through, are, are, are they going to miss out? Are they left behind? What happens? It seems like the, the, they're too late if they're gone after Jesus has passed. And so Paul is writing them to remove some of the ignorance on this subject and also to encourage the discouraged. So this is a, a wonderful uh, message of hope that we're about to see written from the Apostle Paul. And he starts with this Reminder, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I like the word that he used there, uninformed. And he used that a number of times in the book. And the idea of this is the making sure, because these are young believers, that they're, that they're not missing critical information. I don't know if you've ever been in a season or stretch where you're like, man, I wish I had that information in advance. I hate not being in the know of things that I should be in the know about. Some years back, I think I've mentioned this before in other settings, we had a, a time when Adrian and I were first married where we were actually... Uh, had a rental property down in Florida. We had a, a good college friend that had directed us towards this. And so my recommendation uh, after that experience is don't buy swamp land in Florida. But either way, for us, we had a rental scenario. And I remember being out of state, how difficult and stressful it was because you were just like, man, I'm not there to see what's going on. I remember one time getting a phone call from one of my tenants this was a, a strange phone call. The gentleman on the other end of the line, he says, Scott, just wanted to let you know that the, the police, they, they did raid your house and uh, they did find guns. And uh, so I will be away for a while. I won't be able to continue renting uh, from you. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He, he thought it was encouraging that he could let his, allow his mom to move in and continue paying rent. Those aren't exactly the things you want to be informed about or uninformed about. Either way, to me, it was a lost situation. But this, as we're dealing with this audience, was something much more grand than that situation. The question was, what happens after 
we die? That's the foundational question. You think about how many people still today wrestle with that question. And I would propose that's one of the sources of the anxiety that we've experienced in the last year. So many people fearful of death because they're not quite sure what's on the other side of all of this. When I was looking and doing a little research about that, uh, that culture in that time, realized that they really weren't known for being a people with much hope after death. They've since uncovered an inscription from that time period in that area, and this is what it read on one of their uh, building entrances. It says, after death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. Like, Wow. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty grim environment to exist in. Really, as you think about it, that's still present day. So many with a, a nihilist mentality that this is really all there is to it. And if you think about that, if there's nothing on the other side of this life, you come to the exact same conclusions that Solomon did. Solomon did. What is the point of all this? Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's why Paul is calling them to see things through a different lens, to see things differently. Notice how he refers. I find it interesting. He refers to death, and he repeats this a number of times in our text. Those who are asleep. Again, those who are asleep. He wants them to see things differently, to look at death as temporary sleep. See, a person that's sleeping, you're not wondering about their existence coming to a conclusion. You realize something about sleep. And the thing that you realize about sleep is that it's temporary. Although my son is very much pushing the envelope on that with how long he sleeps, wondering if he is still alive. But basically, here is the idea. He says, because we see that as sleep, he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Notice, though, he's saying we're not supposed to grieve like others do, but I also notice that he tells, doesn't tell us not to grieve. Sometimes I think as, as Christians, we believe, or Christ followers, that we need to just ignore uh, areas of sorrow. Oh, we shouldn't be sad about that. He doesn't tell us not to grieve. Instead, he's telling us not to grieve the same. I like how Levi Lusco, pastor, uh, puts it. He says, hurting with hope still hurts. Like that statement, hurting with hope still hurts. He had suffered through the loss of his five-year-old daughter to a severe asthma attack where she ended up passing away. Man, age five, losing somebody so dear. He understood that hurting with hope still hurts, but it definitely has a different tone for those of us who are in Jesus Christ because we see things through a different lens. One of the things that's probably the hardest parts of the role of a, a pastor is having to do a, a, a funeral or a memorial for somebody that you know had never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior. Because I find myself in those conversations around the service really unsure what hope to point somebody to. Because in my conscience, I can't say they're in a better place. I can't encourage them that you'll be reunited at some point. You see, what he's calling these young believers to is the fact that there's a hope. I love how the message, I don't know if you ever get a chance to read that paraphrase or translation, whatever you want to call it. This is how it that labels that section. It says, you must not carry on 
over them like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. I love what Paul's pointing there. The grave isn't the last word. He continues in verse 14. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we de declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We'll pause there. A number of things happening. He's laying a foundation. The first thing that he lays a foundation for, you might notice there, is why uh, they should, the, the question that they're asking, what happens when somebody passes away before Christ's return? Why or what's the basis of his authority? The first thing that he points to, I think is interesting, points to their belief that Jesus died and rose again. He's rallying the troops here around a, a simple belief that Jesus has died and rose again. And why is he qualified to talk about someone coming back on the other side of this life? Because Jesus is the one example out of all the religious, religious leaders that you can think of, one, the only example that validates his claims of life after death by coming back to life himself. He demonstrates what he calls is going to happen for us. So that's the one thing that he points to as a basis for this. And then also he says, by a word for the Lord. In other words, this isn't Paul just making this stuff up. He's saying this is something specific from God that I'm passing on to you. This isn't just me coming up with ideas I believe about the afterlife. Instead, it's directly from God himself. So what does Paul actually say? He says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's an interesting statement, and it kind of lends to a lot of questions that people wrestle through as far as the timeline after somebody dies. Some believe that we're immediately present with Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 5, 8 alludes to, away from the body and at home with the Lord. Others think differently. Others believe kind of this idea of soul sleep where our soul actually kind of waits in this limbo state before the return of Jesus Christ. What I think this text uh, points to and what I lean towards is the idea of our spirit being immediately present with him, but us being later connected or reconnected with our bodies. So once we die, immediately present with the Lord, but our broken flesh still left here on the earth. That's why I see it saying why God is bringing those who have fallen asleep with him. If, he was not, if, if they weren't with him, then he would be coming to those who have fallen asleep. So he's saying, I'm bringing them with me. Either way, though, wherever you land on this, Paul wants his audience to know that those who died first don't miss out. You think about that, it's this idea of a statement that's maybe a, one you've heard before, early to bed, early to rise. I don't, I don't know if you have somebody in your life that makes all these catchy statements. I, we, our old office manager, Nancy Angel, we still miss her dearly, would just bust out these random statements out of nowhere where she'd, she'd be like talking about something that was, uh, that was dry. She'd be like, wow, that's, a lot, that's as dry as a camel's tongue. 
Or she'd say, uh, like, catching a pig lathered in Vaseline when something was difficult. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, this statement, I think, is perfectly relevant. The statement here, early to bed, early to rise. The idea when we're talking about going to sleep, those who fell asleep first, those who passed away first, are going to be the first to rise up when the Lord returns. That's good news. That's a a reminder for us that they're not going to be missing out. And for any of us that think like, oh man, I want to be here when Christ returns. But just know that if you're still here, you fall in the second list or the second group that reconnects with him first. See this idea of coming of the Lord. It's actually something I found interesting in my study this week that the idea, the topic of Christ's return is talked about in scripture 1,845 times. This is eight times more often than it talks about Jesus's first coming. So this is as sure as a guarantee it is happening. So what's it gonna look like? Verse 16, Describes it beautifully. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Whew, that's a pretty cool description of uh, what's about to transpire. I am committed to believing it's going to be dramatic. I don't know if anybody here is a Seinfeld fan. I grew up and when I was younger, watched a, a, a bunch of that TV show. And one of the things that always made me chuckle when I was watching that show is every time Kramer came into the room. Do you remember that? Every time he had burst into the room, there was no such thing as a, a subtle arrival. It was always with like in fuego, like fully in. Hey, check out this clip for a second of some of those entrances. What? <laughs> No, I don't want to. That's because she had my mail. Let me know what it is and uh, I'll order it. As you can see, neither words of, of subtle or quiet, it's always abrupt. It's always dramatic upon his arrival. And that's what comes to mind. And you're like, Pastor Scott, are you really connecting Jesus' arrival with Kramer's uh, entering into room? It's a loose connection. You get the idea of something being dramatic, something noteworthy, where everybody's busy doing their thing. And all of a sudden, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh comes down and notice that he's not sending a messenger. It's him coming himself. It says the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And then is it, does it sound like it's very quiet or subtle with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel? I'm guessing they had pretty good lungs. And with the sound of a trumpet of God, what in the world if a regular trumpet is loud and obnoxious? Sorry if you play the trumpet, but imagine if God himself has a trumpet, what kind of noise that would make. Enough, you might even think, to wake the dead. And that's exactly what happens here. That's exactly what happens. In Matthew 24, 30, it describes the exact same scene. It says, Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power 
and great glory. I don't think human language can uh, really captures the idea of what's transpiring here. It's going to be breathtaking. Some people say, well, he's going to kind of come and it's going to be a, a subtle dismissal of all the Christians. People are going to be like, what happened? Where did they go? They were just here a second ago. I don't buy that. That's not the description or the account that I see in scripture. Instead, I see it a proclamation of God Almighty arriving and drawing believers first the, those who have died, and then we'll see in a moment those of us, if we are, do happen to still be alive. As if the loud noise isn't enough, what does it say happens? It says with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Let's think about that. Who's the dead in Christ? Basically, every single generation prior to us that's known and loved and served the Lord, every single one that's passed away, you've got to believe it's literally billions of people, then all of an instant, if you think end games was, was a, a cool picture of everybody coming back to life, imagine this scene where everybody, regardless of how they died, whether they're eaten by sharks in the ocean, an explosion from a bomb, or they just passed away in their sleep, every single bit of dust bringing these bodies back together and drawing them to himself. So what happens next? It's going to be epic. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So picture this. Once the zombie apocalypse has taken place, we notice what transpires next. The next is us, if it happens to be us, every generation thinks it's going to be them that's going to be the ones still around, uh, but somebody's eventually going to be right. That's why I think uh, we're going to be next. But here it describes us after those who are, have passed away being taken up, then those who are left are going to be drawn up to himself. And in that drawing, there's a transformation that takes place. This is where it helps to kind of piece together various scriptures to understand what all is happening here. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 describes this. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Think about that. After the trumpet sounds, there's an exchange that happens. We trade in the new, the old, for something new. I'm pretty convinced it's going to involve a new head of hair. I think, I'm thinking Fabio. That's the picture I have. But either way, we get version 2.0 of this and we're taken with this new body. And where does it say that we're taken? It, says, it tells us exactly where we're taken. We're caught up together with them in the clouds. Like, honestly, how cool is this? I wonder how long we just kind of linger. Is it like a big church reception in the clouds for a stretch? Is it like a meeting in the well? I don't know what it's like, but it's going to be epic. Every single one of us. Imagine being reunited 
with people that we love and have, that we've lost, people that have passed away before us, or, or just the, 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 the party that that's going to be is going to be epic. Who comes to mind for you that you're excited to be re- reunited with? Who's somebody that you've lost that you're, oh man, I'm going to reconnect with them in the clouds. What will that actually be like? I think about that on my, my end. Man, it was too young that I had to say goodbye to grandparents, where I got to say goodbye to Mike and Irene, to, to Walter and Ruth, and being reconnected with them and knowing that they love and follow Jesus and being reunited with them in the clouds. How amazing that day will be. That's why I titled this section, Party in the Clouds. We notice, though, what that all culminates towards, something bigger than being re- reunited with friends and family. What does it tell us the outcome of this event? So we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. What our heart has longed for as a Christ follower all of these years finally will come to fruition. You'll be connected with him personally. You'll be with him forever. No more separation, no more sin, no more brokenness. Now the choice that we've made in this lifetime will play itself out for eternity. If we've made the choice to embrace him as Savior, now we get to live with him as Lord. Such a beautiful picture of what's to come. It's really going to be an amazing day. The day above any other day in our existence. Think about what the intent of this, though. It tells us why we're to to, uh, rehearse these things. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's a message for believers. It's a source of encouragement. So whenever we're overwhelmed with anxiety about the future or about loss or about hardship, anything that we're kind of miserable stuff we're going to, we have these things to go back to. We have a loving God with a plan and we have a future where we'll be spending eternity with Jesus Christ. So the question that begs to be answered next. So when does this happen? Well, I'm not going to cover that this week, but next week we're going to get into that. And so there's the, there's the to be continued part. So when will it happen? Come back next week. And here's the thing is that's only going to be covered next week if we aren't taken first. But for us, all kidding aside, just a reminder for anyone that's listening to this and as I'm talking about uh, after the afterlife and what's to come on the other side of this, I'm fully aware that there might be someone in the audience that I'm speaking to right now that can't actually point to a time where they've embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Really, all of these things hinge on that, a conscious choice to acknowledge our sin, to call out to him, to embrace his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and cling to him for the forgiveness of your sin. You can do that even in the words of your mind as you call out to him, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Please forgive me. I embrace your finished work on the cross. And if that's a decision that you make, even in response to this message, I would love to hear about it. For the rest of us that maybe already have made that decision, I hope that this reminder gives us encouragement the next time we see anxiety sneaking up on us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to study your word in the hope that it brings us 
of what is to come. A glorious day. A day where we're reunited with those we love that we've lost that are in you, God. The day that we're finally connected with you personally. A party in the clouds. We thank you for the hope that we have. May that compel us even going into our week ahead. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
All right, church family. Well, I pray this message has been a blessing to you like it has to me, just a reminder of our future hope. As always, any way we can serve you during the week, feel free to reach out. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a fantastic day.